Bill over here is probably one of the worst I'm sorry, golf players. Peter, I'm not quite I'm finished. Not. Violet, where did you meet Bill? We met on a train to Boston. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you dropped your ticket, and he bent down, picked it up, gave it to you, right? It is, yeah. That's how Margaret met Ted. And Peg, am I right in thinking that that's how Debbie McIntyre met her husband? Yes, I am. That's how they met. <laughs> yes, that's true. I'm, I'm jealous, honestly. It's such wow. a sweet story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not funny. It was coincidence. Yeah, incredible. Yeah. There are only so many different stories that we're told. We're told what we remember until we try to remember things that they want us to forget, like Margaret. Alice. No. Jack, it's okay. I'm curious to hear where she's going with this. And welcome, 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 welcome to a chest cold version of See It or Skip It on Don't Worry, Darling. Um, this is Ian from Best Film Ever. Surely you know this by now, but I'm joined. It's the first time we've done one of these. It's like a bit of a collab. I am joined today by Agent Scott from the Spy Hards podcast. Say hello, Agent Scott. Hello, Agent Scott. Uh, I am. I had to come in with a dad joke, of course. No, did. thank you for having me aboard. Um, it's going to be an interesting discussion, absolutely, and I'm very pleased to finally be on the show. Yeah, I mean, we, we've sort of done some stuff. In the greater sort of BFE spectrum, I think we've done a few uh, Cinematic Council podcasts and stuff like this, but I think it's the first mm-hmm. chance to really have you, one of you or even both of you sort of on in any sort of a uh, a smaller format, which is a shame, but you do the transatlantic thing much like, uh, well, you do it literally, as opposed to Liam and myself who kind of do it, you know, thematically, but you, when you guys record, you guys are dealing with like, a, is it an eight hour time difference? It's an eight-hour time difference. So just for, for a reference, for those who don't know, uh, my co-host on the show, Spy Hards, uh, Cam, he lives in Vancouver. I live in London, England. Uh, there's an eight-hour time difference. So every recording we do, we have to worry about that, plus whatever guest or interview we have and their schedules and whatever time zone they're in in America, which also has four different time zones, uh, or if they're in Europe, and it goes the other way. It gets very confusing. Yeah, so that's, I mean, that's been the biggest sort of barrier, really, in, in sort of having you guys on ours is the idea that... Uh, there's an eight hour gap and i'm just like that's ah, a massive time jump and we're, we're locked into our recording day like we can't move that for just because there's four of us so mm-hmm. to begin with to find f- for the four of us around the table here to find a day that works i mean liam puts in some some heroes hours because he goes to work super early on a sunday and then he sort of has a little bit of a nap and then jettisons his way over here for some sort of a recording session so definitely feel the uh time zone pain on 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 that one um i'm really only glad that we have to worry about it when we have i uh, usually uh, some sort of guest on rather than uh, a, a regular basis so god bless you boys i guess it'll be seven hours next week because we get the one hour the one week where we're an hour out of sync it, that is true it does make it a little bit easier but we've also got interview scheduled for next week at different times already and we booked it on the bst time not the gmt time and so that's gonna get weird that is definitely going to get weird. Yeah. Um, so there's that side of it. Why don't you go ahead and give a little bit of uh, a little bit of play, a little bit of a plug to what you guys do over on Spy Hards? First off, 
Well, sure. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to do so. Um, Spy Hearts podcast. Every week we talk about a different spy movie, not just James Bond, but we do certainly go there too. We go right back to the 1920s when the first films have been spat out. Um, any spy film ever. And basically we try and put it through the prism of, is it the greatest spy movie of all time? And we're just making a list that we call the knock list, the need to see official classics, a very tortured acronym. Uh, of spy films and we're compiling that list that you can show someone hey these are the best spy moves of all time and we've approved them excellent excellent ethan and i had the pleasure of coming on one episode for a film that did not make the knock list was it a pleasure <laughs> the the conversation was the film itself was 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 very much not but <laughs> Do you know, I, it's still one of the films that people reference to us frequently oh really it is. It it that film has a, a a the film we should say is one of our dinosaurs is missing. It's a 1975 Disney dinosaur spy film that is also exceedingly racist. Um, I wouldn't recommend anyone go see it, but it seems to have very much a strong uh, love on some areas in Twitter. I think. If you nostalgia. grew up, I think if you grew up with it, that, that nostalgia is there. Even if you look back with in hindsight and go, oh. Well, that's not right. There's still something formative about it. That wasn't that for me. It's one that, that, that I did miss, I think, growing up. But uh, no, I could see how it would be, I don't know, something for someone, I suppose. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's basically, if, I think if you were a kid at the time, it was definitely a film that was probably played on the BBC, uh, reruns, that sort of thing. But yeah, it, but there's far more to the spy world than that. And also we do interviews. We've had people from Bond, Jason Bourne, all on the show. Loads of interviews as well. So yeah, if you like spy movies, we say stop on by. Excellent. Um, I guess we should stop on by or roll on through to look at the film we're talking about today. Don't worry, darling. Um, not a film that was necessarily high on my, um, high on my radar until all the the sort of drama sort of uh, began let me let me begin though by saying if you're new to the format see it or skip it what we're going to do here today is we're going to go through a spoiler free version of uh, of the review we're going to do the first i don't know 25 minutes or so we're going to talk about the film in very generic terms at the end of which we, we will sort of give our verdict whether we think you should see it or whether you should think you should skip it ergo the branding and then you're going to hear a little a little sort of uh, buzzer it's going to sound a little bit like this at the end of which, we will give ample warning that we're now in spoiler country. And from there on in, all bets are off. But it'll be in the show notes. You'll have lots of audio warning there. So we're not going to drop any spoilers in the first section of the show in case you get that far and go, okay, now I'm going to stop. I've made my decision. If you choose to go see it, hit the pause button, come back to it later, um, and see what we really thought of it on the uh, we get into the nitty-gritty and we start revealing all. But in the first bit... It's all spoiler free. So as I was saying, it's not one that hit my radar until all the all the drama mama stuff started occurring where it felt like I mean, I teach high school for a living. It, it felt like there was a little bit of that going on in the um in in the sort of whole promotion. I mean no one's really talking about the film. They were just talking about all the drama surrounding the film. Did you catch any of that or did you go in kind of blind to all this sort of rigmarole? See, I was on the opposite end of that, actually. I saw the trailer at the cinema very early on with my now wife, um, and we both fell in love with the trailer. We both loved Florence Pugh. Yeah. We loved the aesthetic that the trailer was selling. 
Uh, so we both sort of got behind that. We're, I would say eagerly anticipating the film's release, but we were like, oh, when it's out, we're going to go see it. We have a Cineworld cinema about five minutes from our house. So it, it's very much like we just pop down on a Saturday afternoon and catch a film. And I mean, not to do a Cineworld ad here, but are you part of this? Because uh, we don't really have them that close to our map, but is this like one of those things where like you do like your monthly rate and then you go see all the movies you want to see? Correct. Yeah. I mean, I've got, uh, to be fair, I go to many cinemas. I also have an Odeon quite close to me. And I'm, uh, I, I have those memberships with both of them where you just pay a small fee. Wow. And I have unlimited, I basically go once or twice a week because it's just something to do, really. Yeah. Get it up. If, if, it's, if it's available to you, if I didn't have to drive, you know, the better part of 40 minutes to, to sort of find a, a cinema that does it, I probably would take greater advantage of it than I currently do. Yeah, I just roll in uh, with like a drink from home, watch the film and go home. And you basically, I have a five minute walk. You, you can't oh, complain with that. That's brilliant. Yeah, you can't uh, complain with that. Yeah, but to, uh, an answer to your question about like the sort of the gossip and all the problems that are happening behind the scenes that we learned about very close to the release at the time. I mean, I try and stay away from drama online. It's yeah. really not my thing. It doesn't really do it for me. But I was aware of it. I was aware of like the clip of... Uh, uh, Harry Styles allegedly spitting on Chris Pine and, and nonsense like that. And yeah. I, I just kind of rolled my eyes because I just thought it was marketing. Oh, I mean, they say there's no such thing as bad press, but that would be pretty bad press. I it, think. Yes, it probably would be if that if the spit happened. But yeah. like, there's a lot of, I mean, let's not get into too much about it. People can go read the behind the scenes stuff if they want to. But there was definitely some drama on set being sold on social media. Yes, yes, absolutely. And it was interesting because um, I was explaining to Agent Scott off, off mic before we started that um, I went and saw this because um, we were, I teach film studies. Um, it's, part, it's, it's my job. What, what, what a great gig. And um, we took the students at our A level class. So these are students who are 16, 17, 18. We took them out to the cinema. And the goal was we want to sort of have them do like a proper. Um, I guess blockbuster cinema sort of experience, and then we're going to take him and I'm going to show him like an art house film down down the line. But uh, we, I still didn't want to just see like a Marvel film. So uh, my my colleague and I, we we each selected a film, and uh, we didn't tell the kids who chose what film. And I happened to choose Don't Worry, Darling. I think mainly because I knew there was a lot. I didn't know what it was, but I knew there was a lot of drama going on around it, and was going to have this whole conversation about how what we value now in society more than the product is having access to the conversations that are taking place in in, in the wider scale on social media and things like that. And so you're not just buying a product of an experience, you're buying access to that conversation. Uh, And it turned out every student shows the film I'd selected. So we kind of dropped the veil and went, all right, we're all going to go see Don't Worry Darling rather than split it in two. We're going to do this. And so we sort of trunched along there in order to watch that. So that was my entry point. I knew almost zero about the film going in. I knew it was Florence Pugh, who I really like. I knew it was Olivia Wilde, who I forgot was the woman from House. <laughs> that was yeah. that was my memory when I went, oh, it's the, it's the woman from, from, from House. She played 13 or I think, it's, I think it was the number 13, I think. But I remember her being a strong actress. I went, all right, giddy up. Um, let's see what this sort of brings. I knew very, very little of the drama until after the fact. Uh, Georgia set me up with, with, with a video that outlined all the drama and pretty much explained what, kind of where you went. And that's, there's lots of stuff out there. If you want to go check it out, by all means, go check it out. But, um, overall, I mean, you talked about the look 
or the aesthetic of the film that they were selling. And the first thing you, I mean, you have to declare looking at this before anything else. This is a stylish looking movie. It's a beautiful film. It's it's visually arresting. I would say it, it. You could get lost in the world in that in that canvas that they're painting on this idyllic nineteen fifties Americana that I think is almost aspirational to some now. Well, yeah, definitely sort of uh, positioned as such uh, here. Even the, even the name Victory for this uh, for, for for this perfect little Stepford Wivesy kind of throwback lifestyle um you know highly highly glamorized um with what seems like people are just living pardon the expression but living their best lives and when you combine that with some seamless beautiful cinematography on top of it um I don't think it's a spoiler to say there's there's a return sequence where we're just focusing on the preparation of food, but it's it's the most beautiful like kitchen sequence I think I've ever seen in in, in a film, and it just it's seductive, it's intoxicating. One might say the way that this world is presented to the viewer. Absolutely, I mean credit to the cinematographer uh, Matthew Libertique, who also done things like Black Swan mother wrecking okay. for a dream this guy has visually an eye. arresting films yeah yeah this is definitely his thing they've, they've tapped up the right person for the job on that point but yeah i mean just that i mean that meat scene just jumps out to me it's in the trailer yeah. too so there's no spoilers there but it, how how someone can make you know uh sort of it's like seasoning a piece of steak seductive remains to be seen but uh somehow it works it does work um and i think it's interesting this um this world and this landscape which is set in this 1950s of the glamorization which we talked about i think it is i think it's about as far back as you can go and still have this idyllic presentation to an audience like you go back any sooner and you lose um, the visual or the values. Plus, I mean, you're also able to do this really cool thing with, with, with it's not, it's uniform, but it's not uniform. So you've got like the, the sort of different pastel colors on each, on each house. Mm-hmm. You've got the muscle cars that, that, that all the men seem, seem to drive that are all sort of iconically different, but yet somehow of a similar era. And, um, it's a world which it's not a big ask to say hey spend a couple hours here no because we've seen this world in so many types of media and usually spoken of in sort of in in glowing fashion i mean i don't know if this is the greatest generation or the boomer generation technically speaking but this is the post-war generation that you know the world was good and everything was wholesome and it was about core family values, allegedly it's speaking anyway. And so I can understand why they picked this realm for this film to exist in. Yeah. And so then we, we get there and um, I mean, you, you, you take a look at um, the principal cast and you, you have to look around and go, okay, progressive casting which is um I, I, as a viewer you want okay it's 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 re- re- refreshing here it could just be white meat americana but we do have some diversity within the cast of this neighborhood or within the inhabitants of this neighborhood um 
What did that strike you as? Is that just... Um, uh, I'm, I'm, see, this is a really difficult part where you're going, what do you give... Uh, I'm, tr- I'm trying to straddle that line. But when, when, when you watch that, where you're going, okay, it's, it's we, we've got some pro- pro- progressive casting choices here where... You know, where some would argue a neighborhood like like this would just be um, very um, homogeneous, um, as 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 opposed to this, which seemed a little more diverse than I think we we would traditionally see an environment like this as. I don't, I don't think it necessarily jumped out to me particularly. I think, uh, and uh, I understand the line that you're walking in terms of <laughs> what we, we can and can't say. I understand that line. I will walk it with you. Um, I just think that they chose to do it this way because the story they wanted to tell was nothing to do with having people that potentially shouldn't be in this neighborhood being in a neighborhood, if you know what I mean. That's yeah. not their focus. No, that, that was the thing. It was, it was a complete blind eye to it. Now it was just kind of going. And I think what first, <laughs> I continue to walk this line. I think what, what, what first just happened was I just went, okay, this is, this is, this is what, we, what, we, what we do in Hollywood now. Yes, we all know the world was a certain way at that time, but it doesn't mean that if we go back and represent that world, we have to play necessarily by that rule. And so I just kind of went, cool. Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to look up really quickly here. The cast list, because I do want to talk about some of the performances that sort of occurred with, within the film. I think we can mm-hmm. start, though, with Florence Pugh, who, for my money's worth, is absolutely fantastic in this film. I She's the first note I have. I mean, I'm a big Florence Pugh fan. I think she is one of the best actors acting today. Um, I wrote down... Um, I hope Olivia Wilde is paying for Florence Pugh's chiropractic bills after carrying this film. <laughs> You're not wrong. You're not wrong. And especially if you um, consider, I mean, the, the, the original casting, as we're told, well, as we're told, as everybody's told, I mean, it's not really a, a, a secret. It's, it's part of some of the drama we're talking about, is that she was going to play opposite Sheila Booth, who I think, mm. who I think, I can totally see as a better version of the actor who plays that role in this, but she's got a much bigger carry job to do in the first half of the film, uh, especially until um, I guess our other big A-lister comes into the frame. But she absolutely carries the whole first half of the film on her back. And really, we're so tightly aligned. We don't learn anything until she learns anything. And as such, she's not just our main character, but she's the vehicle by which we get our information or told how to respond to it. Um, she does a tremendous job in this. I think Florence Pugh is one who um, has sort of stuck up on me. I didn't see Little Women. Uh, I've seen Fighting With My Family. Uh, she, she was the only thing that was decent in that Black Widow atrocity. Um and so, you know, I think she's one of those special talents that comes around about once a decade, if not less frequent. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm all in anything Florence Pugh does from, from this stage forward because I think she's um, – I think this movie's better for, for her involvement in it w- w- without question. I've, I've noticed over the years um, – I mean, I first came across Florence Pugh in the BBC adaptation of the John le Carre spy novel, The Little Drummer Girl, which I recommend everyone checks out. It's a fantastic short series. Um, just came off sort of the heels of The Night Manager, which was another John le Carre adaptation that was very good with Hugh Laurie. That one I did um, see. That's fantastic too. Yeah. Uh, yes, yeah, so Little Drummer Girl was a, the, the next adaptation they did basically. And that, that's when I first sort of found her and I just found her to be just – 
the most uh, versatile actor I've seen in a long time. And I think that versatility is what's key in this film because it requires many things from Florence. I agree. And again, I'm, I'm finding myself um, choking on my uh, on, on what I want to say here. Mm-hmm. Um, in the moments where she needs to be super excited about her life, she is and she sells it. And it's important because we need to be sold on it. And then in the moments when she discovers maybe she's less than happy, um, she's able to do that effectively as well. Uh, I think, yeah, I think she does a hell of a sell job on this movie Um, to where I think a lesser actress, I think, I think um, verdicts are, are a lot, well, a lot less positive. I'll put it that way. Um, overall, based on on her performance, then we pair her with uh, Harry Styles. I don't know. I didn't see Dunkirk, so this is my first time looking at Harry Styles in a feature length uh, film. I didn't think he was atrocious. I think they kept it very safe for him. I, the, I mean, I, I made some notes around the time when I saw this film, and I went back and read them for this. And the one problem I had that was glaring was Harry Styles. I have to say, I just, I don't think he has the versatility. It's a word that's come up twice now to perform what is required from the Jack character. I won't go any further than that, yep. but I, I think it, it, and I think Shia LaBeouf has displayed that word again uh, in previous films. I think if the parallel universe where he was in this film, we would be having a different conversation. Agreed. I think Harry, Harry is fine. I think where Harry loses it for me, and I, I don't want to get too much into it, but I, I think the chap, he's young. He's quite new at acting. He's got many years to you know, do more reps and improve, but he's being put in the spotlight because of his fame very early on. So he's going to be looked at as a leading man. And I think he doesn't have the nuance required for that task just yet. Yeah, I mean, I, I keep I kept wanting to think about his career and paralleling that to uh, Justin Timberlake when he started to make his move into films. And it seemed like Justin Timberlake had a slower ascension and maybe people knowing. Uh, you think about how he was using the social network and things like that where you're like, mm-hmm. all right, people are playing to his strengths. And you wonder, I, I don't know the answer to this because I didn't go this deep into the into the gossip side of it. Whose call is it? that he was the replacement for Sheila LaBeouf. Was it Olivia Wilde? In which case, I think she's got to own that a little bit. Um, or was it a studio thing? Because I totally understand a studio going, hey, if we put Sheila LaBeouf, not Sheila LaBeouf, if we put um, Harry Styles in here, that's going to draw some serious eyeballs through a demographic that we're probably targeting in this film. Um, yeah, th- this film is... is I, I, mean, I, won't ha- I won't say that directly. I, I, this film, one of its key demos is harry styles fans you look at the reaction to this online it, it's a lot of harry styles stands really you know uh, championing this film and having him on board is a major sell you put his name on a poster and you will get a certain group of people turning up to watch the film irregardless of its quality yeah and uh but I would say it's Olivia Wilde's. Uh, she's the director. I will also point out there's a nice connective tissue with your Justin Timberlake comment because uh, very early on in Justin Timberlake's career and Olivia Wilde's career, they were co-leads in the film In Time. I've never seen In Time. Was that any good? It was no. All, oh, it was all, I love the premise of it. So I was like, oh, I'm, but I never got around to watching it. But I thought it's a really interesting idea. 
What, what I think I, it would have been better with some different leads, but it's okay. a good premise. I agree. Uh, yeah, and I guess that's the question about. Well, here, here's one last thing, and pardon my, my, my cynicism, but might be is the ideological bend that Olivia Wilde is going on. Does that speak to the same audience who would be fans of Harry Styles? Am I shortchanging the fans of Harry Styles here? Maybe. I think demographically they both come from the same age and gender makeup, but I think there's a difference. I, maybe it should. I think anytime you get rolled in that in that pop culture mainstream kind of appeal, I mean, I, I don't know if "Don't Worry, Darling" is that film. So, it's not a it's not a fluffy popcorn film. Yeah, exactly. It's core, and I won't go any further than this one line. It's not spoilers. This is high concept. Yeah, and I don't know if if Harry Styles fans. I'm sorry, Harry Styles fans. You can come at me online if you want to talk about this some more. I'm happy to expand. Um, I don't think they are expecting high concept from Harry right now. No, no, I, I thought. I thought Harry Styles was better when he was playing off of the next person I guess we'll talk about, but really quickly when he's, when he's, when he's playing off of Chris Pine and was kind of like his like lieutenant, mm-hmm. I thought Styles was better when he let, when he had someone clearly leading him and he just had to sort of be a support. I thought he was better in that role than he was anytime he had to match Florence Pugh because that's going to put you on the back foot instantly anyway and it's a task which I think you commented I think Sheila Booth would have, would have been a much I don't think he would have struggled I mean Sheila Booth's kind of like whack-a-mole kind of crazy in, in, in a variety of ways or at least that, that's my read of him uh, but I, I, I don't I don't question his ability to have done something high concept such as this um, so I guess that segues me nicely into Chris Pine I thought Chris Pine was a fine counterpoint to florence Pugh in this film i thought he did really well i will not disagree with you i think if if florence Pugh was my favorite thing about this film i think chris pine and the aesthetics are like joint second place i i am a long 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 term time star trek fan let alone spy movie fan i even met my co-host through a star trek convention so star trek is my thing i i love it and i've remember chris pine i met him back in 2009 at the premiere of star trek 2009 he's a lovely chap a quick word with him there and i've been following his career ever since and he has not had many chances to be a villain so it's nice to see him get to sort of stretch that because he he tends to get put in these sort of leading man roles because he looks like a leading man um and he's earned that to be fair in some of his films so yeah i think him being able to play the sort of and I, it's not a spoiler to say he's a villain because it's in the trailers, but it won't go any further than that. Uh, he is fantastic in this role. I wonder if this is a move for him because I was actually thinking this as I was watching this, going, Chris Pine is so good in this in a way that he doesn't have the pressure of being, you know, the heartthrob guy who's selling the tickets. He just gets to be a really great character. And I wonder if this is a move for him because he's he was quite openly sort of showing his age in the uh, in the, in the film itself. You know, he's grayed up a fair bit. Um I, I was just sitting there going, if this is Chris Pine sort of going down a more character road, uh, I, I really welcome that because I think it's allowing me to see. Um, I always like Chris Pine, but it's, you know, leading man. I like Star Trek. Star Trek's great, but it's kind of leading man 101. Here's, and he's good at it. But mm-hmm. I was really impressed with the skill and that, that he demonstrated um, in this film specifically, especially kind of taking those beats and letting silence speak. 
where sometimes that's the better shout where a uh, a more mature actor um or less mature should be a quicker way of saying that a less mature actor might have just tried to rush through the dialogue and said big snarly things i thought he was good at controlling the moment yeah i i think he he knows what he needs to do as a villain i mean talking back to your point you said at the start there you know is he starting to expand his scope he recently did a film that came out i think on amazon prime here in the uk i'm not sure about north america but uh, All the Old Knives, which is another spy film uh, adaptation of the Olin Steinhauer book, and he plays against Tanyaway Newton, and they both are spies who are morally ambiguous, but by the end you get to know that he's quite the villain, and it's nice to see him taking these roles that I think allow him to stretch beyond the sort of either the Wonder Woman uh, sort of oh, boyfriend or, or the you know, Captain Kirk of the USS Enterprise. Yeah, yeah. Um... I'm trying to think if there's any. I, I got to talk about Nick Kroll for two seconds. I thought Nick, He's great. I thought Nick He's Kroll great. was great in this. In a role that didn't ask him to be too different from the Nick Kroll that I, I've known and loved for many years. Nick Kroll from The League. Nick Kroll from Big Mouth. Nick Kroll from, I don't know, insert other project here. Um, but, you know, Nick Kroll's always got this kind of wacky bordering on um, raunchy juvenile sense of humor. And yet you put him in this universe, which especially, you know, when when, when life is good and he's really um, he's really fantastic. And then even um, when he's a bit protective of his lifestyle, um, it, it, it was a really nice it was nice to see him elevated to this level. Uh, which is in a, which is not something I used to see when I went and sat down and go, hey, it's Nick Kroll. Yeah, I, I admit to not knowing too much about Nick Kroll. Funnily enough, I saw this film in the same week I watched a film for Spy Hards that had him as one of the co-leads, um, Operation Finale, which you can find on Netflix at the moment. Uh, a very different tonal film to this. but And he, he also plays that sort of comedic slant in that film too. And I, I was like, I was sort of blown away by him. I'd never really uh, come across him until that point. But like in one week, I watched two Nick Kroll films and was like, this guy's pretty good. Yeah, he's all right. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just hitting his IMDb here to realize I mean, he's done a lot of voice work. Jeez Louise. But no, I really like Nick Kroll. And it was great to see him do something a little bit more mainstream and maybe a little bit more mature even if he's you know using sort of his skills that are somewhat adjacent to this role to to sort of get in there and do what he needs to do i'm just trying to think if there's anything else i want to talk about um before we make the jump i I would just point out there is a, a song that features in the trailer and features in the film uh so it's not a spoiler nope the song itself is written by Harry Styles, and uh, it's quite the earworm. I found myself humming it to myself for about a week afterwards. Yeah, I was. I watched the trailer in preparation for today, and it, the song featured heavily. And I walked away. Well, no, there it is. And, and and they do. I mean, they do find. You know, it's a, it's a Harry Styles song, and they make sure they they sort of manage to find ways to get Harry Styles singing a bit. And it's kind of like, all right. You know what you're here for, and he's sort of doing almost in that Marilyn Monroe-esque sort of era. Uh, look, we're going to put him here, and he's going to do this thing, and he's going to have us. So there we go. We, we've fulfilled that need for the fan base, and now we'll move on with our regularly scheduled thing. But the, the song itself is strong. I will definitely agree with that. So um, I guess we're at the point where 
we kind of got to throw down the see it or the skip it verdict. I mean, I can feel there's a little bit of a spectrum going on here. But uh, Agent Scott, where did you land on this? It's tough for me to dig into why I'm going to say this and probably until the music plays shortly. But I'm going to say skip it. Oh, okay. Interesting. Um, I will say this. I had a lot. I was asked by the students afterwards. Did you like it, sir? And I went, hmm. I like the conversation this led to more than I like the film itself. And because I like having those conversations, and like I said, buying that ticket allows me access to that conversation, I suppose. I'm going to say see it, but it's a very conditional see it. I'd say like see it on Netflix when it comes Stream out. Stream it. There we are. There's your option. There's your option number three in the middle. So uh, we've kind of got one sort of stream it skip it we've got one sort of see it stream it and we'll sort of break that down in a second but uh we'll catch you after the i don't even know the catchphrase now we'll catch you on the flippity flop that's it the flippity flip flop all right spoiler time everybody if you're listening to this it is spoiler 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 shut it down go somewhere else go watch the movie because we live in a house in a very big house spoiler country all right um this is it where the gloves are off uh freedom to go wherever we want to with this uh agent scott i'll let you go ahead and start off because we were both trying to sort of walk that line i'll let you sort of venture into the forbidden areas quite a fitting metaphor i think for 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 the film um thoughts yes let's let's sprint wildly into the desert together (laughs) i it's interesting I have a overarching problem with this film, and this is the big spoiler. And then there's lots of little things I want to pick out. So I'm probably going to go with the big headline, and then we'll dig into it after sure. that. Have you you you're you, you know you teach film studies? So you've yep. probably heard this theory before. But Alfred Hitchcock posed this a long time ago: the icebox problem. Actually, hit me with this. I do not know this. Okay, so it, it's evolved over the years, and it became like the refrigerator problem. But Alfred Hitchcock said years and years and years ago. Some films have these massive issues of them that you you go and you watch it and you walk out and you go, that was okay. And then you go home and you go into your icebox to get your meat out to cook your dinner. And then you go, wait a minute, what about this, this, <laughs> this, and this? Yeah. And and you just start to pick it apart in your brain and you pick it apart over dinner and you realize that, that it's actually a very flawed film. You were just sort of taken back by the sort of glossy veneer. Um, and And this is almost the film that matches that in the modern age. It's there's so many questions about. The, I mean, that here is here is the gist of it. If you somehow made it to the spoiler section but didn't watch the film but still want to hear it, the world that they're living in is a simulation made by men to control their partners. I, I assume there's some male partners in here too, but women are featured in the film uh, to control them to go back to a world where women are subservient to men. Which is an interesting high concept thing. I mentioned high concept earlier, but there's so many ways this thing falls apart that is not paid any service in the film. I, I walk out of it saying things like, okay, so Florence Pugh's character is a surgeon. We find out in the real world and in, in, in this imaginary world that she's been put into. She's just a housewife. I say just a housewife. A housewife is a, a, a very good job to have. But what about the people asking about her? She is a doctor in a hospital. Why are people not searching for her? Um, you know, does Harry Styles 
change her diapers every day. Uh, there's all these like fundamental issues that like just start to fall apart when you question it. And that's the problem. This film has no depth. It's, it's empty calories. It's like drinking alcohol. It doesn't do anything for you. Yeah. Um, we're, we're in similar um, breaths there because we, we came out of the cinema as a group and the students are, what do you think? And I'm like, ah, I'm still ruminating on it. And we got on the coach and we were going back and I sort of started going, oh, this doesn't, this doesn't sort of say, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? And um, I hadn't gone to, to, to the logistics of, you know, who's changing her diapers, but um, it's, it's, it's a totally fine, fine question to ask. Um, you know, as all these men get in their vehicles and it's a beautiful shot of them all sort of racing at breakneck mm-hmm. speed towards um the plant um in what i mean there's a there's a clear i don't mean this in any sort of a negative term but there's a clear feminist ideology in this which does tend to paint every man in this film and every man who would be in victory i imagine would be a bit of an ass for this very premise to work what i lose track on is does free will disappear and i know they're being programmed uh, they're being incepted. They're given backstories, da 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 da. But then there, it seems to be an idea that's borrowed from a lot of other stuff. It feels like it borrows from Stepford Wives. It feels like it borrows from The Matrix. It feels like it borrows from Westworld. And we put all these things together, and I'm not sure there's a cohesive thing on the other side. So, you know, how much free will does Florence Pugh have, or is she completely subservient? Or once they've reprogrammed her personality, does she have free will within that scope? Um, I had a hard time going, look, how does she end up? Because they skip the yada yada over this part. You know, we know that Harry Styles is just some, you know, deadbeat who's lost his job, who's listening to a podcast <laughs> guy. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if this makes you and I the villain in someone else's Don't Worry Darling universe. Who but, listens to podcasts? Yeah. Losers. <laughs> so, but how does he get her there? She's clearly fulfilled by her job how does he get her there does he drug her if so that's yada yada we don't actually see how he gets her there um i i i don't there's just a lot of stuff i'm going to so if they can if you program this side then you know how are they getting their food or their nutrient it, it, it just sort of sit there and go upon closer inspection this thing seems to fall apart um i mean it feels like one of the big plot holes is the dinner scene where they gather around and uh florence's character who i'm trying to is it alice alice yes oh good for me i don't even remember things like this alice starts questioning them all about how they all met and there's like only like four possible backstories by which they i'm like that's a really like poor thread for this thing to all fall apart upon like just the fact that everybody's either from you know Cle- uh, Boston or Cleveland or or Philly, it's like can people not be? Could you not have just gone random generator and given people legit or even kept people's backstories? I, I just didn't get it. I'm like, this is a really thin. You need to ex- and the whole thing is Florence Pugh doing all this heavy lifting, explaining the you know how this whole thing falls apart. But it was it was the worst case of you know tell don't show. I've seen it in, in, in quite some time in a scene that was supposed to be important. And then it does lead, because of the, the, the performance of Florence Pugh and Chris Pine, I think it sort of in the moment dissipates. And you go, oh, what a powerful face-off. But I was sitting there going, this is really lame. And then what's the story behind all these other men with their women? Because 
we saw that with Harry Styles, he got Jack's character got to go. Yeah, I'm going to bring my partner with me. But some are are they kidnapping just random women and partnering them up? Because it does seem like I think it's Violet and her husband. It seems like they didn't know each other or something like that. I, I, I don't know. Um, and I think there was just a lot of stuff where they just kind of yada yada over, and and we're hoping the twist would be enough and i don't think it was i don't think the film wants you to ask questions which is an interesting problem because the film is meant to be about some of the problems that are happening in the world right now and want you to ask questions so you can't ask for depth and not have any and so I just found it this weird balance of, yes, the veneer is lovely. It's like eating, you know, I mentioned like out drinking alcohol, empty calories, but like, you know, you're eating a cake, it, it, it's full of sugar. It tastes really nice. But then afterwards you're like, oh God, I just ate a whole cake. I'm Bruce Boxtrotter right now. I feel terrible. I don't get the reference, but yeah. <laughs> um, Matilda, Matilda. Okay. Um, yeah, um, I tell you, I think it's a funny story. I'm going to share a funny story. One thing I was not expecting, I'm going to say this, was all the oral sex. And so we got into this, as we were going to the cinema, my, my, my colleague told me, told me later, uh, she, she's a woman, she's probably about, I don't know, she's probably about 10 years older than I am. And she got stopped by, um, the manager of the cinema who freaked right out when we showed up with a bus full of like, I don't know, 20 students. I don't know what they were thinking. We were, we were planning on doing, but the kids were, the kids were great. Um, but, um, stopped my colleague and went, you know, there's a lot of sex in this. And we went, she went, yeah, yeah, but these are 16, 17, 18 year olds. And I think it was a 15 certificate here in the UK. So I'm going, you know, they're all of age. And she went, Oh no, no for you. Like somehow my colleague came off as this matronly prudish kind of individual, but we sat down and there's a lot of male to female oral sex. And so my class is about two thirds, three quarters female. That's always a bit awkward for the male sort of uh, teacher in the room. So I'm like, I'm sitting there sitting beside in these wonderful leather chairs that like, uh, like, you know, recline and all that stuff. Oh, it was fantastic. But I'm sitting there going, okay, I need to no sell this. I need to not, appear awkward at the situation so i'm like i'm going to just sit here and eat my popcorn and then i was really careful i'm like but be careful how vigorously i'm eating my popcorn while this scene is going on because i don't want to be like they're eating my popcorn going yeah some good popcorn and um props to florence Pugh. it's it's a very vulnerable performance to do as the camera's doing like a 360 degree pan after she's thrown her roast dinner on the floor um, and then I thought, well, at least that's done now. And no, they came back to it a couple of times. There was more of it. And there was this weird, now I get this because we later find out that Jack wants to, when is, when, when Alice comes home from the hospital, uh, he wants to have sex with her and she turns him down. And so we, what's well, part of this fantasy he creates, he creates a world where she never turns him down, even at the cost of a dinner she spent all day making. And he's good at it. And it's very, you know, um, um, I guess unselfish. So he gets to be a hero in that regard and it keeps coming back. I'm like, that's interesting. But then there's the scene and I don't think they ever picked this up. And I asked my colleague, I went, what do you think the deal with this was? The scene when he decides he's going to manually stimulate her when they're at the barbecue. Mm-hmm. And then she's not feeling it. Pun not intended. And, um, but then she catches Chris Pine's character watching her. 
and then she kind of enjoys it a bit and kind of lowers her her guard and i was sitting there going there's a threat that i don't think was ever touched on again but it felt like it was supposed to be something am i wrong i i don't know why you would write that in without it trying to be something or lead to yeah. something uh, yeah so i don't think that is resolved and that's a it's a fair that's another one of the icebox problems right there like it's why was the scene here why was why was this sort of voyeurism included in the film i mean it, it doesn't speak to the themes they're trying to deal with yeah so i was just sitting there going this feels yeah it feels like it's discordant with the themes they're going for um even if it was supposed to be like she's seduced by because he's he is presented as like this christ-like figure in the community he is this he is the builder of of of, of victory there's a lot of sort of cult-like sort of behavior sorry i cut you off there no no, it's fine i mean you could headcanon it all you want you could say oh you know he created this chris pine's character should say pronouns pal he created it chris pine's character frank this world victory that they live in maybe there's he has code that influences like neo in the matrix where he can influence other people and and she gets turned on by his presence or something nonsense like that you could do that in your head but the film doesn't do it and that's the issue and that's my issue is that the, 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 we shouldn't have to do the work of the film ourselves and it felt like fairly frequently in this film we were having to do this well it, it does other things too there's there's and and some of these are actually in the trailer so uh, but we're in the spoiler section so i'll go ahead yeah like there's a there's a moment where like florence Pugh wraps her head in saran wrap uh, that's never really why is she doing that and there's a moment where she's cleaning the house and the, the glass starts to close in on her and is, is that meant to be some sort of allegory for the oppression or something like that maybe but it's this heady concept and it's tried to be this sort of david lynch abstract film at times where yeah. really it, it's just this sort of it but it isn't that I wonder if it's supposed to be a red herring, which gets us to question, because we're so tightly aligned to her, um, which the film needs us to be. But I wonder if it's supposed to be this red herring to make us doubt her mental stability. Um, I don't think it's effective if, if, if it's what it's going for. But I can't think of any other reason to sort of go there or do it, um, including the eggs that aren't really eggs. Yeah. I'm like, what is that? did the code mess up? Like, I don't, I don't understand here. How does she not have proper eggs right now? Um, no. I think it's supposed to be. And then, what's the deal with the plane? Why is there a plane? But Why there would wasn't you code a plane. that in? Why would you code that in if the plane's not actually real? But I mean, it is. It is the inciting incident that sort of throws everything. I mean, she's riding the, 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 the train by herself to a degree. She's not satisfied with the shopping life anymore. But really, it's the incident that gets her out and into past the forbidden zone. And it's and, clear that this is a problem in the real world because there's there's a character who uh, I think I think it's the Kiki Lane character Margaret I believe who originally escapes the Victory Project and is brought back in and and then kills herself in the film um, because she's seen the real world and understands what's happening outside and and she she sees the plane too because she has all these flashbacks of a toy plane and it's like a it's it's not really well explained um, you're meant to piece it together as a viewer. And so, you know, if you're creating this world of victory, why would you create these flaws? The Matrix explains the flaws very well by saying you need them to keep the humans interested. I get that. But this film is not The Matrix. No, not The Matrix at all. Um, 
And then you've even got like the, 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 so if all the men are in on this, like is, is, is the, is the train driver, is this, is this how he's paying his way? Or, or is he an NPC? Like, is he just, that's uh, why he can't go back or, or he can't go with her to the desert. He, he's not programmed to do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a really, are there NPCs? We don't know if that's, that's a thing. If, if he wants this, isn't, isn't the better version of the story, the idea that everybody's an NPC, but I guess it doesn't, it's not as fulfilling, but then again, it's fulfilling for Olivia Wilde's character. So I don't know. And it's not even like the guys get to spend the day at work a victory. They literally, when they go to work, they actually go back to the real world to, I don't know, have a job to sustain the fact that they have to keep a house with bills to pay food for himself, at least, uh, and, and that sort of thing, electricity, gas, water. So he has to go in and work his real life for a bunch of hours, too. So it, I, there's a lot of things to pick apart. I want to bring something up, yeah, if you ahead. don't mind. There's a there's a meta discussion point in this film because we talk about uh, Chris Pine's character. We think it's a fantastic performance of Chris Pine. But his character creates this world, and he's based off of, and this has been said by Olivia Wilde, uh, a, quite a controversial figure, Jordan Peterson, um, known as by many as like the king of incels. Uh, and it's a, a dangerous topic to bring up, uh, one that we should be talking about. I completely agree. But it has this whole talk about inceldom and Harry Styles' Jack character is, you know, not able to, he's not got a fulfilling life and he's being brainwashed by this uh, Chris Pine character's Frank in the film through podcast form. We mentioned the podcast. And eventually, I'm guessing he's selling this victory initiative to, to take us back to the real world when men were men and women were women. Blah dee blah. But it just takes this like, it doesn't really give it any sort of actual discussion or any depth to the discussion about incels and the problems with that and uh, toxic masculinity. And this is all baked into the film, but it's not actually really paid any sort of service. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I hadn't, uh, I hadn't heard that um, as a, uh, as a thing, I'm just taking a look here. To be honest with you, I just googled well, what is an incel. If I'm being honest, it's not something that's in my vernacular. I've heard oh, it, but I've sure. never really engaged in the conversation here. So, a community of young men who consider themselves unable to attract women sexually, typically so with views that are hostile towards women and men who are sexually active, and I guess repressed or or frustrated to the point where they start loathing women. Is that how am I, how am I doing? Is that pretty accurate? Yeah. It sounds like a textbook definition. I mean, it stands for, I mean, we won't get too into the, you can go read about it if you don't know otherwise listeners, but incels is involuntarily celibate. Yes. Is where the term comes for. And and it's like men who have been discarded by women because they're deemed unworthy against other men. And they are becoming quite a, a, a toxic part of society that they actually are behind several terrorist attacks yeah a a dangerous portion and they're being fueled by people like uh in this imaginary world chris pines frank and but then the next step this film goes is by creating this world of victory and by by forcibly putting women into bondage uh, against their will to go back to to control them and, and and this is a discussion that we should be having, and I, I appreciate the film is trying to take a, a pass at it, but I, I and this is where my problem comes in with the direction. I don't think Olivia Wilde is up to the job of tackling that subject. 
No, no, I think um, I agree with that. Um, you take a look at the scene, the scene which, man, I was I was flagging in the middle of Act Two, but this great Gatsby esque party scene where mm. Jack gets the tap on the shoulders, means someone who's really stepped it up at work. Now, what does that mean? Who knows what that means? Because it just means he's gone out and what. Because he doesn't hang out with with Chris Pine's character outside that we know of. I mean, he's just that's the, that's the whole point. So mm-hmm. it's it's part of the of the of the red herring of they're actually doing work at at Victory, which they're not. But you know, and so this whole you know whose world is it? This is our world, as he you know because he considers himself to be um, a failure, I suppose, in the real world, which is why he needs to be here, and then finds this idyllic. Life where, you know, unlike in the real world, he's able to be the provider. Unlike in the real world, you know, she needs to be dependent on him but, and is dependent on him willfully and, and joyfully until until she's not. Um, yeah, um, it, it does. I keep coming back to this. It feels like this thing was one draft away from being ready to actually film, to actually write. You know, in the last act, we sort of turn it into a bit of a pursuit film. It just turns mm-hmm. into a chase. Yeah. And against what random guys in red suits. That's what it is. And we need to get to the place where she puts her hand. I guess that's the exit portal. We're not really explained that really fully ever at any point. And we are warned that if you die in, in the Matrix... If you die in victory, you die in real life. That's just sort of shoehorned in for us. And then we just get this random pursuit movie where, yeah, she gets out of that. But, you know, is anybody waiting for her on the other side? And then all the other women become, like, sentient. Like, you know, Chris Pine's wife, like, kills him. Why? Because it's the third act of the film and the women are rising up. There's no great moment. Mailboxes start to explode. I don't know if that's supposed to represent everything you know the women suddenly gaining sentience as to as to what's occurring in their lives really really um like that you know i i gave this movie a hard time earlier for telling not showing this is i don't know what it's doing it's it's making some noise and telling me something's happened i don't have a clue what it is it well, it's, it's either so deep that none of us are picking up on some of those things or or it's just it's just there for the sense of having an explosion yeah. and, and and a big climax and a finale if you'll pardon the pun about climaxing, but it's, it, yeah, it, it's interesting. And like at the very end during that climax, you know, you find out that Olivia Wilde's character, who we haven't spoken, spoken about her as an actor, particularly in this film. I think she's actually pretty good in, in, in the, in the actual acting of this film, her character, bunny finds out that she was already aware that she was in victory and she had given herself to victory because the life she was living in there allowed her to be with her kids that had died in the real world. So there's actual implications and there's weight to this, but it's literally one conversation and Florence Pugh has to run off and get chased by some NPCs and red jackets. I want to deal with that. I want to unpack yeah. that a little bit more. That's interesting. And, and then but, Buddy's there for, you know, helping feed this lie into everybody else. Yeah. So in, in a movie that's staunchly, staunchly feminist. We, She's a pimp. We have, yeah, we, we, we have this person who's, who's absolutely actively dissuading and is, and is, is gaslighting Florence Pugh's character going, you know, what are you doing? No, that's not the case. Everything's great here. 
and it's- and Jeff and the other thing like and bouncing from that again that climax scene Gemma Chan who plays a Shelley who's Frank Chris Pine's wife in the film yeah you mentioned kills her it kills him Frank but. Is that to escape or is that to become the boss of it? Like, does she want to now run victory and she's aware of it as, and, and that's a weird flip and that's an interesting flip. But again, it's so quick and we're leaving and we don't get any resolution or any sort of discussion. It's like Frank needs to get his comeuppance and they decided to go with it through this version, which A, feels like a shortcut, but B, yeah, it does feel like it's just I'm taking over, but does, is that is that any better? So what? You have this prison that's now being run by... It, it, I don't think it's particularly empowering. I, I don't know what the... It's not we're shutting you down. It's it's my time now. That's 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 a different kettle of fish in time. I don't know where to go with this. I mean, we, we're both... This is interesting, because when we were not talking, and, and actually, if maybe it goes to the whole meta discussion we've had, when we weren't talking about spoilers, we were actually sort of lauding this film. Yeah. Because the, the performances are very good. They are. You know, like the, the world building is very good. The aesthetics are gorgeous. But when you get into the granular side of it, when you get past the veneer, it's dead. It, you, you think of the opening of Blue Velvet. You know, you've got this lovely shot. And actually, it plays very well into this, this lovely view of suburbia. And then you get into the grass and you see the worms and the maggots and it's all just dead and empty. Yeah. Uh, I'm usually story above everything. And the problem with this one, at the end of the day, it's the story. The story doesn't hold up. Mm-hmm. And so you can have everything else, all the other technical elements. You know, it, it, it's a well-made film. Fantastic. I mean, as far as Olivia Wilde and her job as director is a well-made film. The story doesn't hold up, though. And... Maybe, ironically, what she's created is a world very similar to Victory. It looks pretty, but there's no real substance involved. It doesn't hold up. I I couldn't agree with it more. I have one tiny note, as I think we get, we're going to wrap up. Yeah. Um, as uh, for keeping a spy angle, um, keen observers might notice that Harry Styles is Jack in the real world listening on to podcasts on his computer has a poster next to his computer of uh, 1963's James Bond film from Russia with love. Uh, so I saw that as a personal attack. <laughs> uh, is, there, is there any symbolism with that what, from, from Russia with love? Is there any sort of a uh, thing that could tie in or is it just a poster? Do we think? I think it's more just a poster and sort of the idealization of the world james bond in in, in oh, habits okay. yeah. and sort of inherent sexism especially of the sort of sean connery era yeah a classic bond very clearly defined gender roles mm-hmm. all right well uh hey first off thanks a lot agent scott for making some time for me uh on on what for us was a saturday morning just talking a little a little don't worry darling i want you to remind everybody where they can find your podcast at well um for spies we're potentially the worst spies in the world because we're so easy to find. Um, you can basically find us everywhere at SpyHards, S-P-Y-H-A-R-D-S, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, apparently. Uh, yeah, we're, we're everywhere. 
wow, it's impressive. We don't we don't do half of that stuff. Um, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm I've gone all in on Elon Musk's latest purchase. So I don't know if I'm going to jettison. I hope not. I hope I'm not going to have to get in my car and drive towards a different uh, a different platform, grinning gleefully as as I do so. But catch up with everything we got going on here at the BFE. Um, the time this drops, I think I'm safe to say we're next. No, I'm not. Next thing will be a Reverend Bruce pick. Yeah, so there we go. We, uh, we come ju- check us out next Sunday when we got um, Reverend Bruce on in just a couple days. Bring him whatever film he's brought. I haven't really uh, taken a look here. One of our BFFs of the BFE. Always a good time there, and always a good time talking with Agent Scott here from Spy Hearts. Would love to do it again. Thanks so much for helping me out. Thank you for having me on. It's been an interesting film to discuss. There we go. And I don't really have a pithy uh, end line here. I really really wish i i did i guess um you know this film's taught us to have a a healthy mistrust of podcasters we hope we can move past that but in the world of this podcast whose world is this agent scott our world i'll catch you on the flippity flap (laughs) 